This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast, where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. Today I'm here with my daughter, Emily Pepito, and we're talking about the power of community for for helping us connect as families, but more so for restoring communities. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back on. So I talked in some of the other interviews I've done on this subject about how, you know, when you kids were pretty young, we were in sort of a legalistic community. They were all doing a real authoritarian form of parenting. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, women dressing in feminine ways, i.e. wearing dresses all the time, or a lot of talk about courtship and things like that, that might be good ideas. And some, you know, some families really might love and adopt those kinds of practices, but they're not necessarily biblically laid out. And in those communities, there was this idea propagated that if you did this one paradigm of activities, if you participated in these certain kinds of behaviors, the outcome of your children was guaranteed. And so we were in that when you guys were young. And then we went through this like crisis of faith as a family. We went into this more sort of gospel centered community where it was a lot more about just knowing your love by God and a lot less about behavior. And I feel like in this season, we're kind of trying to find a steady ground where we, um, and we've never necessarily let go of like character training or something like that. But I feel like we're not going to go back to thinking you cannot listen to any secular music or you cannot watch any movies or you have to wear dresses all the time, but neither do we want to just adapt to secular culture and just be exactly like the world. And so, you know, I've been having these conversations about how community can be really powerful for helping us live by maybe a, a different set of values. Even homeschooling is sort of a different set of values but still live with grace and mercy towards people who live differently. I really love hearing your description of your perspective on that, Emily, because, you know, as adults, we were sitting there with very like-minded people in so many ways. We were talking about God or we were having worship nights. And in a lot of ways, it seemed like this idyllic community. But the dark side was, yeah, we, the parents were having a good time, but then the kids were all off playing. You didn't necessarily know what they were doing. And I know that was sort of the case for me as a child, too. My parents were in a very small, tight Christian community. They knew everybody. But while the parents were having Bible studies, us kids were running wild and actually engaging in some kind of sinister play. So I think, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons we're talking about community is because with the Benedictines, that was sort of the overarching theme of how they saved civilization is that they were all in one community and they had a set of rules to follow and you look at some of these groups like the orthodox jews or the amish where there's been sort of a set of rules to follow and it can look really good like that would be the ideal is if we all are following the same rules but it doesn't necessarily always go very well you know because there i mean even in our own small attempt at being more we weren't trying for being Amish, but you know, we were not, there was a group, a group of us that weren't celebrating uh, Christmas or a group of us that were wearing dresses or some of these things. 
if the motivations are are more about proving ourselves as godly than about worshiping and enjoying God, it seems like it does kind of end up being unfruitful. Definitely. And I think one of the big things that sets the Benedictine community apart and probably many ministry communities is that a lot of the being together is around a bigger purpose. And so when we lived in Mexico, we were exposed to a lot more people um, for with different values than ours, but there was such a sense of a common goal that we were working towards. And so if a group was coming down, even though there might have been, you know, like kind of core beliefs that might have been different, or maybe things would have looked different if we just had lots of free time, but there was, we were building a house or we were playing at the orphanage or we were doing, we were doing projects. We were working hard together with a common goal and a common inspiration. And then the downtime came as the fruit of that labor and I think one of the things, and I'm not like, I love, I love play. I have great memories of like going to the lake with friends and hanging out and, and things like that. And I think that, that downtime and, and playtime are fantastic things, but my safest, best, and most meaningful memories as a child are always the times we were doing projects together and doing like like as a community like we used to be in this one community that we had almost like barn raising days we had a friend come over and they were digging um, a well in our yard and I know that like it was his son and myself and I know that we probably weren't super useful but I just remember being engaged in it and and that is sort of the the things I remember the most and I think when we're building when we're building community I think that the desire to have fun or the idea that the pursuit in a way of like downtime has permeated permeated our culture to such an extent that our community is actually losing value because it's just about having fun together. Well, it's interesting too, what you're saying about it being geared around a project, because I think, you know, for us as humans, our greatest joy is in the presence of the Lord, right? Like when we're worshiping, when we're even doing something that we feel really passionate. Like I loved Eric Little. There's a quote where he talks about, he was a, a Olympic champion. He talks about how when he runs, he feels God's pleasure. And so maybe to some degree, what you're pointing at is that purposeful play, even our own family times where we would be, you know, building a bonfire and then making a log cabin or something was more beneficial or more heartwarming or brought more life to you than just running wild with a bunch of kids that you weren't super close to. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, there was a definite sense of being being there for a reason, doing something beautiful together and and having fun. Like like work is fun. Building a log cabin is fun. The I think I think one of the biggest things is that children need adults. You are in a family because adults need children and children need adults. And so to go, to engage in a community where there's an automatic separation where the adults are here and the children are there, like that's, I I just don't think that that's how it was meant to be. Like if you, I think if you want that kind of community, I think that needs to be a carved out time in a sense or, or certain occasions. But it's like my best memories are when my parents, and, and maybe I'm more of an exception than a rule, 
but my best memories are when there were adults around engaging with us or when it was my parents around and we were doing like fun activities. Like we used to play these wild, like, um, like capture the flag kind of game just as a family. And, and it was, it was just more satisfying when there were adult figures engaging with us. Right. And I, I think that's what I started to say when I was talking about being in the presence of God is that for children, probably play with an observant adult feels safer than the play that is, you know, run along children and go play. And, you know, I know, like I said, for myself, when I was a child, we were in a tight community. We did not have TV. I was not, you know, at that point exposed to pornography, but I still, we still engaged in, in um, sexual play as children that had a big impact on my um, on, on many aspects of my development. And so I think, you know, that's always been one of my concerns with letting my own kids just play wild. Like we had rules like no playing in bedrooms or no playing behind closed doors. And my husband or I would kind of tag team and go check on the kids and make sure that it was that, that what they were doing or who they were playing with was safe because I mean there's even a bible verse that says a child left himself will bring his mother to shame and I don't I don't think that is necessarily to try and shame the mother or the child but just to say children need some adult guidance and love and care and supervision and if you're if you as parents are so tired that you can't really do that right now and you just need to chill out with your community then it might be tag team with a babysitter or tag team with um, a grandparent or finding someone else to come in and be that observant adult, be that present adult because yeah, children can develop these beautiful imaginative play. They don't need us assisting all the time. They don't need us interfering, but I think there is safety in knowing that there's a parent watching. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I don't know, like in terms of, I don't know how that exactly plays into community because now I've sort of gotten more into like, the role of parents and family um, or adults and children. And I think like there is, there is a beauty in community that, that does things, but I I do wonder if there isn't a, just an, a need to be aware of the purpose of the community, maybe even more of the values, like what is our purpose and what are we moving towards? That's really good because we, for a little while, we have gone to a home church that is inspired by the Francis Chan model. And I love the idea of home church and we've home church at other times in our family's history as well. I love the idea of it, but it, the, you know, it can be a little bit awkward when you don't have it laid out what the expectations are, especially for children when there's no sort of laid out children's ministry. So what we ended up doing is just having, you know, for part of the time we felt like our kids weren't in enough activities and so it was okay if they stayed in for worship and then went off and played with the other kids. And then there was another season where we felt like it would be better if our kids sat and listened to the whole conversation and sat and listened to the whole of worship. And so I think on a family by family basis, you know, if you're in a community that doesn't 100% share your values, it's okay to be your own person. Like if you're going to a church where all the kids go to Sunday school, but you want your kids in church. It's okay. Do that. You're the parent. Or if you're in a community where the children all stay in church, but you feel like your, your children really need to be taught something on their level. Maybe 
maybe you do need a different church or maybe you do have to start a children's ministry program. I think that being confident about your own values as a family is one of the first places to start in finding community because we have to have something to build from. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree. And I think going off of that, because I was having a conversation recently about with friends who go to the home church and I, and this is again about building community, but we community is not just being a people community is wanting to be shaped in the image of God with community. And, and I was listening to, um, I'm reading a book right now called the Holy longing by Ron Rollheiser. And he talks about how we cannot be like, we are called to be the hands and feet of Christ, but we cannot be that outside of community. And so I think like being, being with people is so important but what I often see um, is that it's, and I don't know, it's not that you have to every time you get together have a goal or have a plan or or have this thing or even every time have like structured play for the kids. But I think I think biblical community, I think the kind of community that restores families, restores society, restores culture um, is more like a monastic life in the sense that it is holistic. Like you do not just get together to have fun and you do not just get together to work and you do not just get together um, to worship. Like it should be like, you should have a community where you're doing these different things with, but I think also at the same time to, to shape and form that kind of community, you have to be willing to, to step out and lead. And a lot of times, and, and everyone is so tired, but I look back like a hundred years and I'm like, people who are working harder than us, were still stepping it up in their community to serve in a huge way. Um, and so, so there is either, either we need to restructure our lives maybe a little bit to have more, uh, room to give or room to lead or room to create in community or like putting down our phones, like their phones take so much time and emotional, mental energy. But, but basically my point is when we're, when we're shaping community, if we want it and we have a desire for not just friends, but people to run with people to build with, um, people to, to like laugh and cry with, we need to also be willing to put in the work to build within it. And so it's like, if you have a skill set, like if you are good at working with kids and you love doing things with kids, then planning a day we're like we're going to go like let's go like my mom's amazing at this like like planning nature journaling days planning nature hikes because that that's the kind of thing where there is that beautiful measure of adult supervision and kids freedom you're getting out in the outdoors like there's a lot of things that you can do or giftings that you might have where it's like oh like I enjoy baking. We'll do a mother-daughter baking day or do, do a, you know, do a mother-son baking day. It doesn't have to be specific, but, but do like being willing to go out there, put yourself out there to use your skills to craft community. So inspiring. What an inspiring conversation. I, I, I think back at that first church where there was a little bit of legalism, but there was also these beautiful all things in common days or barn raising days where we would go over to another family's house and we'd all you know, rent one wood splitter for the day and go to each house and split wood. And then at the end of the day, we'd have a meal. And there was so much purpose and joy in that for our kids to feel like they were a part of helping. And I think that a lot of special memories were made through that. And I talked in another podcast about how our homeschool co-op, like you mentioned, Emily, has done a lot of the same thing where we're getting together, we're learning a skill. There is kind of a measure of playtime, but also supervision and learning time. 
And there is a lot of purpose in that. And I, I think it is so important that if you don't have a community like that, that you step out and lead it, you know, and, and that might be messy. It might take a little bit of trial and error. You know, we, uh, in another community that we lived in another geographical community, we tried very hard to create this kind of community and it just, it never took, it was, you know, experimenting with different churches and inviting people over and hospitality and hosting, you know, uh, egg dyeing festivals and, uh, cookie exchanges, yeah, cookie exchanges like- every sort of party that you could have we tried <laughs> and we just couldn't find our people and sometimes that is a, a sad reality and and I've moved a lot and sometimes you gotta make do but yeah I, I love what you're saying yes so basically steps to creating a cohesive community I think one of the things that was poisonous in my early attempts was my own lack of identity I was worried about being judged. And so I preemptively judged others. And I think back, I think, you know what, some of that might have been as much me as those other people. I mean, there was a lot of kind of legalistic things being taught from the pulpit, but 100%, a lot of the application of it was me deciding that, oh, you know, that person's child was having a temper tantrum. And so they must not be parenting very well. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I have a child who has a sensory processing disorder and has temper tantrums on, I mean, on the daily. So I think that, you know, as mothers, as we learn to kind of sink in and embrace our identity as children of God, it's going to be a lot easier for us to build a healthy community that has a good mix of grace and kind of accountability. Emily, have you seen in your life you know, even in, even in watching our family, places where either accountability or grace was over or out of balance. In community or just in our families? In community, in our communities. I think, I don't know if grace or account, I think accountability is the one thing I've sometimes seen missing because I think that if you don't, accountability can be scary because it's opening, it's asking for things. If you don't have an identity, you're asking for people to value you and value who you are and value your boundaries and value enough to keep you accountable and be be vulnerable about where you really are that can be quite scary but i think i think real accountability um is so important and i i don't think we've ever really had enough of it actually in community and that's where extended family can be part of that accountable community mm-hmm. i know for my husband and i we, I have five siblings and my parents, and we've all lived somewhat geographically close. When we were missionaries, my sister and her husband were on our missions board. And so we have had these really close relationships where they know us well, and sometimes they don't agree with what we do. You know, my, my parents have given me feedback on my parenting or my, you know, my brother-in-law and sister have given us feedback on you know, maybe decisions we've made and feedback can hurt. It can make you want to withdraw and cut off community, but that's where you can really get into that deeper and loving relationship when you do allow each other to speak, when you allow people to speak into your life. Definitely a hundred percent. I think it's amazing when you can have that and, and it is scary for sure. I think I've really, I have really respected the way that you and dad have, um, 
let people speak into your lives, especially your family. And that is one neat thing about having adult children is they're great about (laughs) having adult children who, you know, in our family, like I know every family deals with things differently, but my husband and I want a connected family so bad. And we both would much rather have our children come to us with the issues that they see with the way we're parenting younger siblings or the way we're dealing with whatever it is. We'd rather get the feedback from our kids and if necessary, reconcile or repent for our part in that than to have our children feel gaslighted. You know, I think that there's been times where people have tried to go to their parents and say, you know, I don't like the way you did this or that. And then the kids, instead of being responded to with love or with acknowledgement, they, the parents just say, oh, it's your fault or I was doing my best or there's no acknowledgement of the pain they cause. And I think that is the surest way to shut down a closer relationship. My husband and I have tried really hard to be open to feedback from our children in order to stay connected. Yeah. Hunt, you guys have been amazing at that. Exceptionally incredible. And I think, I think it is really hard to receive feedback. I think one thing that people don't always recognize is also very hard is giving feedback. And so it's really hard. Like if you have a friend and they're really struggling and you can see that their marriage is struggling because of their choices more than their spouse, saying something can be really daunting. But I think I think we have a responsibility. If, if you have chosen a group of people to be in a community with, I think we have a responsibility in love to to give feedback and and how how they receive it should not hold us back. What is important is how we give it and kind of our heart behind it. But I it's I think it's huge being able to, you know, kind of be hum be humble and loving and care enough about the person to overcome your own fear to be like, hey, I'm gonna give you this feedback to take or leave, but here it is. Right. And especially when we love people like the community that we're in right now, I love these people. And if I see that someone's behavior is going to lead towards a crisis in their family, I want to say something, you know, but I think this is where we have to be so prayerful, especially when it comes to children. Like I, you know, we, we are so sensitive about our own kids. We don't want anyone to say anything bad about our kids or uh, it's just so hard to get feedback in that area. And so I think it's important to be prayerful because I know, my parents were actually really wounded in their church when we were young children by a pastor who gave ungodly, unwarranted, and almost selfish and manipulative feedback. And then it then it made it harder to receive feedback in the future because how can you trust future leaders to give you godly and caring feedback when that's your experience? So I think it is really important if you've had ungodly feedback in your past or you've had some kind of legalism or overbearing leadership in your lives that you know you work through it with a counselor work through it with you know spiritual abuse people maybe do some grieving and forgiving so that you you don't isolate yourself and maybe you've had the opposite experience where you haven't had any kind of accountability and you feel as a family like you've just been left out to dry in a sense without any kind of accountability. You don't have a good relationship with family. There isn't anyone to speak into your life. And that's where, you know, finding maybe a home church, a small group, something like that, where there's a little more intimacy could help build that kind of 
deeper community and relationship and accountability. And then, you know, one of the things that's really helped us define our values is just taking time to write down our family vision. I'll link our family vision document in the show notes because knowing what is important to your family can take a lot of the pressure off of being manipulated into do things that aren't important. You know, there's been churches that wanted people there every night of the week, and then you're sacrificing time with your, your own children to do that. So I think finding out what your family vision is, is really helpful for knowing what feedback is appropriate and what isn't. And then of course, overcoming fear is so important to all of this. So grab my book, Mothering by the Book. You can get it at motheringbythebook.com. And there's a study guide in there with really steps to help you work through that forgiveness, work through family vision, work through even some of the grieving that needs to be done to get healing for the ways that community have let you down. And we just hope, Emily and I, that you find that amazing community that will be people to run with, people to encourage you, and that beautiful accountability that creates restored communities, restored culture. Thanks again for joining today. We're so excited to have you. Please review, give us a a review for the podcast, like, and share. It means so much to us to have your support.